Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. There is a lot going on in uh, the railroad industry, Norfolk Southern getting grilled as we speak in Washington, D.C. I'm Mike Boundis, I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions, work on the data side of the house here at FreightWaves, and I'm joined, as always, by Joanna Marsh, who works on the editorial side. Uh, Joanna, how are, how are you doing uh, today? And uh, I want to say congratulations on being named... One of the finalists for the Neil Award for Best Industry Coverage. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, good seeing you, Mike. I'm doing fine. Um, yeah, so FreightWaves received uh, several finalist nods. Um, one of them uh, being for the uh, industry coverage for for rail, um, particularly mainly the um, the industry coverage. Uh, for the rail strike or the potential of a rail strike um, uh, last November and December, and so um, so it was uh, 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 several articles that were submitted as part of this um, industry coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, a few by um, my colleagues um, Clarissa Haas and uh, Rachel Premack um, is kind of looking at uh, different angles of. The, the issues surrounding um, uh, rail labor and, and railroad issues. Um, uh, for instance, Clarissa wrote, you know, a really great piece kind of more on the, the human interest side, looking at the, the, di- the dynamic between workers and the railroads. And then, um, of course, Rachel's coverage uh, looked at just some of the other um, some of the, the, the other uh, points that are sometimes, you know, overlooked uh, uh, in in, in this dynamic between uh, the the rails and the unions, um, and then uh, the piece I, the piece I wrote one of well one of them was um, on uh, on how a rail strike could affect the trucking market, which was kind of interesting because mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. really delve into trucking coverage or coverage for for trucking markets often. So mm-hmm. uh, so it was kind of neat to to talk to people about that, about an area that I'm not as familiar with. So. Yeah. And, and we did see some of that in our, in our data, the, the freight wave sonar data. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When, when, when some of those terminals were about to shut down, I think it was the, it was when within, was it with at one point it was within a day or so of a potential legal strike. They shut down certain container um, terminals from in gating. I believe that was Norfolk Southern um, who, who did that. And then we saw, you know, pick up in truck volume out of those markets, a drop in, uh, the rail volume that was being ingated in in those markets. It was pretty clear from our data. It's one of, one of the cool things about our, our, our data, sort of on a daily series, you can see on a day-to-day change sort of what happens. Um, so, so um, you know, that was uh, pretty interesting as well. I think we incorporated a lot of that data into your um, into your articles um, to, to sort of make it sort of cross uh, across the organization. So I thought that was that was great. But so so, so the Neil Awards, I guess um, you know, one person described it as freight waves as being kind of like the the prestigious award for b2b co- uh journalism sort of like the if you know it is to b2b what pulitzer is to you know that that section of of, of journalism so i think it's a pretty good uh, deal and i just wanted to take a, a minute to to recognize your work uh there oh um, with thanks that, well, move on to the know, next I... topic uh, go ahead mm-hmm. oh no 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 i was just saying thanks i mean it, it's it, you know it's 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 nice because you know it you know just just personally like you invest a lot of 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 time and heart into these issues. And so it's, it's just nice to, to, uh, you know, to, 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 um, see others, um, 
being 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 I don't say complimented, but you know, being recognized, I guess, for that. But but you are true in saying that um, you know that there was a lot of um, great data that came out of freight waves as well in terms of yeah how how mm -hmm. the potential rail strike might have affected things at the terminals and stuff. So yeah, I think it shows also that we we chase this this sort of stories that are most impactful that people are care the most about. It's kind of like last year we mm -hmm. focused a lot on the railroad. Uh, strike, uh, you know, sick day issues, all of those things. Now we're really focusing on the railroad safety issues. And so you do sort of have to, you know, go to the circus when the circus is in town, uh, you know, to, 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 so to speak. So um, I think we'll continue to do that. Um, so with that, we'd like to go to the next topic. We had a great show last week with former Service Transportation Board Chairman Daniel Elliott. Um, he's a good guy to, to interview. I think we've both talked to him in the, in the past. And did you have any sort of takeaways or things that you sort of remember that sort of stood out to you from, from that discussion? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, talking with him before as well in the past, like just the, the, the time that it takes for, for regulations uh, to, to go through the Surface Transportation Board, I think it is one thing. I mean, you know, reciprocal suturing has, has been and is sort of a hot topic right now, but it's actually also been... Um, it, it's been around for, I don't know, I think 10 years or something like that, if, if not more. Um, cause I think it was being discussed when, um, when Dan Elliott was, was on the board as well as chairman of the board. And so, um, you know, for it to take a while. And I think part of the reason why it, it disappeared was because, uh, there were enough board members, um, to actually, um, you know, uh, to, to actually uh, have a vote <laughs> on the issue because way back then there was a time when there were there weren't five board members there were actually only two um, and so uh, yeah and so it, it, it's interesting to, to to see kind of looking at that long view like what sort of challenges there are in in, in terms of getting regulation across um, if you know if the regulation is needed I guess that's partly why you know, you've you've had Congress looking at it too, in terms of not so much the, the timeline for regulation, but but whether the STB should be given more authority um, in in regulating, which could help them potentially to uh, speed up that timeline. I'm I'm not sure really, but you know, it's it's just that that was one thing that struck me. Um, what what were some of the things that struck you, Mike? Yeah, I think that um, you know, right now that he said the STB thinks it was pretty swamped with the the CP. KCS deal that maybe some of these other things just sort of have to be on the back burner for, you know, right at the moment. I thought the structure of the STB where you talked about, you know, we all know the, the board members, um, you know, who they are and just used to hearing from them, but he said they have this staff of about 140 people underneath the board members that are primarily lawyers that are reviewing the legality of, of all of these uh, uh, things, all these issues that they're bringing to, to light, and I guess I didn't uh, fully appreciate how um, you know large of a sort of a full organization that it was. Sort of the things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, just you know, the, the description give a great description of just how um, long it can take to get a new regulation passed between it being you know reviewed, the comment period, um, you know, maybe being challenged in courts, all of those things. I mean, you should go back and. And, and, and listen to it um, for the for the full um, dis description. So so that that stood out. And then um, you know I thought he gave a great answer when I asked um, you know what's really behind the railroad labor shortage. And it was really kind of this multi pronged thing. I mean you hear 
the, the unions say, well, it's all about how the, the, the workers are being treated. You hear the railroads say that, um, you know, it's, it's just a function of a tight labor market. Everyone's having a hard time finding people. We heard from Daniel Elliott. So, okay, maybe those things are, are, are true. But, but also it's been kind of this mind shift where, you know, people don't view it as being the great job that it used to be where you're out on the road. It's not really, you know, they think it was used to be kind of a way to serve your country. And there's been maybe a mind shift in terms of, um, you know, priorities, you know, people wanting to be home and all the, all the sort of the work rules that go into being on call all the time. So it's not just that it's long hours and long shifts. It's kind of uncertain hours. So I thought that was a great um, description of, of why, um, you know, we, we do have this labor shortage, which is ultimately seems to be at least a large contributor to why there have been these uh, rail service issues. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that is sort of a, an interesting point. And, you know, I was talking to a, a source like for another article um, several months ago and just, you know, we were, we were talking about how um, th- there's been... The, the the potential that you know you, you kind of think about the next generation of, of railroaders and and you know where is that next generation coming from um and as you mentioned you know you you have all of these uh these these um issues surrounding about like how 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 life is as a railroader in terms of the long hours and and how many days you have to work consecutively and and then of course you you hear from the unions about um concerns about sick leave policies and, and attendance policies. And so, um, and, and benefits and other benefits. So, you know, it, it is kind of, yeah, I mean, kind of looking at it from a generational perspective, um, is, is something I think this, when the source and I were talking, it's something that hasn't really been, it, it's, it, it's been discussed, but then, you know, the discussion, you know, it comes up and it gets put away, then it comes up and gets put away. And I don't know at this point if it's, uh, you know, if it's sort of inevitable that that maybe it's going on right now that the discussion is happening in terms of where will you find the next generation of railroaders. Moving on to our next topic, the hits keep coming for Norfolk Southern. So Norfolk Southern today uh, in Washington, D.C., testifying before Senate hearing. I'm sure a lot of this is taking uh, years off of uh, CEO Alan Shaw's uh, life. Uh, you, you know, Joanna, you wrote up an article on uh, this. They're being scrutinized by NTSB and FRA. They're um, you know, conducting an investigation of their safety culture. Some of the other things that have happened recently, um, Norfolk Southern uh, conductor sustained fatal injuries in Cleveland. You talked about that being the fifth uh, significant incident since uh, December of, of 2021. There was a March 4th derailment in Springfield, Ohio. Seems, seems like all these are things to be, seem to be happening in Ohio. And then um, you talked about a, a December 21 uh, death of National Salvage and Service Corporation employee in Pennsylvania, who I guess was working on the railroad. Maybe that was, was that a contractor um, in, in, that, in that case, I guess. Um, so it, what's interesting is, um, you know, all these things seem to be happening in Norfolk Southern. Just um, earlier today, we had on Freight Waves Now, uh, Tony Hatch, independent uh, railroad analyst that we both uh, know. And uh, some of the things that he said was that Norfolk Southern is one of the safest railroads in the world and talked about this as um, sort of being that they kind of drew the the bad card and they're one of the safest railroads. And it was unfortunate that, that this incident happened uh, to, to that particular railroad. Also, you know, stressed the railroads don't have to, um, you do have to haul these hazardous materials that they would rather not a hall. 
Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Norfolk Southern is going to be in front of um, you know, Senate t- uh, today, undoubtedly will be grilled by politicians trying to make themselves look good. What, what do you make of all this from uh, writing some of your articles um, uh, about the Norfolk Southern safety culture? It seems like there's some, some difference of, of opinion there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because like on one hand, um, well, I guess a few things. One is um, it's interesting that the NS or NTSB um, uh, put out that, that safety um, announcement or that investigation. They're saying that they would be looking into Norfolk Southern's safety culture just because, um, you know, I was, I was talking to another source about it and just how, you know, usually the NTSB, um, you know, focuses in, on a specific accident or, you know, as a response to that, but to, to look at the operational practices of, of one company is, is a little bit different. So that's kind of striking in mm-hmm. itself. Um, I mean, the FRA report came or the announcement came after NTSB has said that, and that was that, that in my personal opinion felt a little different just because, um, you know, the, uh, it, it seemed to sort of follow on the momentum of um, FRA and, and, you know, the Department of Transportation in terms of like, Trying to to look like they're they're responding to to rail safety concerns. Um, so I mean, mm-hmm. so you have that one piece, and then you have you know another question of you know you know why I guess related to that you know why is NTSB doing that, and has there been something that might uh, well obviously you would say so. I mean you know that that would warrant them to actually you know conduct this look in the first place. Um, so that'll be interesting to see like what what results come out but yeah i i listened to that that round table as well of tony hatch and um mm-hmm. and my personal opinion is i i kind of feel that norfolk southern's kind of i don't say the the, the scapegoat but you know it, it seems to be the the company that is is getting flogged and and and, and you know and it's mm-hmm as a warning to the other class one railroads, like you, you better watch out because, you know, uh, uh, if you act like Norfolk Southern, you know, you, this is what's going to happen to you. But I, I don't know, I, I especially, yeah. and I think what's, what's really interesting. And, and this was, I watched part of the Senate hearing. Um, I have to finish this thing to it, but like how they're, you know, how the senators are remarking, well, this is a bipartisan move. You know, we have senators or we have Republicans and Democrats kind of going, going against mm-hmm. NS and they're, you know, kind of talking about the, how much money um, NS and the other class one railroads make. And so there's, um, it, it, there was kind of related to this. I mean, there was an, there was an interesting piece in the wall street journal, like uh, uh last week, and I think you've mentioned this as well to Mike um, in a past great ways now, but just how with this accident, you know, even though Norfolk Southern is getting the attention and the blame for this, you know, there are so many other um, uh, companies involved in this, like the, the Wall Street Journal article is mentioning how the rail car um, was touched by, you know, at least four other three or four other companies before I got to Ohio. So, you know, it, it originated, um, uh, I think in Texas or, but anyway, but it was touched by union Pacific and then it, you know, and it went through two short lines before it reached NS. And so you have, you know, you, you have, um, other 
railroads and involved in 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 transporting that rail car. You also have the rail car manufacturer, you know, the rail car lessors um, mm -hmm. with uh, yeah, GATX um, reportedly uh, being the 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 owner of that rail car, and of course you have the shippers involved too, and so it's. It's interesting how NS is getting the, the brunt of this attention, but there are actually other uh, players involved. And I guess if you look at the um, rail industry's response, you know they're they're trying to 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 show. I don't know whether they're successful, but they're they're trying to show that there are other um, uh, stakeholders involved in this. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it seems like based on what we know, the car was owned by DATX. It was manufactured by Trinity Industries. I mean, and, and I think that NTSB is looking at all things, including, you know, was there a manufacturing mm -hmm. defect? You know, were, was the car properly maintained? And, um, you know, who was responsible for properly maintaining that car? I mean, I, I, th I think, um, you know, most of these cars, there's there's a, a set maintenance schedule. I mean, every, every after every certain period of time, the car has to come out of of service and 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 be maintained, um, so they're, they're they're looking at all of those things. But then, you know, also there's sort of the regular uh, maintenance. So there there is still a lot to unpack there. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this one that um, Norfolk Southern conductor sustained fatal injuries in Cleveland. Yeah, I've heard of of of, of deaths happening in in the railroad industry. I mean, it is um, it's the type of thing where you have to be do everything right, otherwise something like that can happen because the equipment is you know hundreds of thousands of pounds. I mean, how often does that happen? Um, do you have any idea? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I should have, I, um, I, I should, I'll try to, I need to round up the statistics for, for, for deaths that happen. Um, but I kind of, I was, when I was looking at the data recently from the FRA, I, I, I did this story recently about looking at the train accident data. And even though I didn't include deaths in the story, um, I did look at that number, and uh, although I'm unfortunately I don't know it off the top of my head, but I didn't really see any trend one way or the other in terms of um, fatalities that have occurred in the last ten years. So you know, obviously it fluctuates quite a bit, and I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't want to generalize and sort of say this is it, but like I, I, I feel like a lot of the incidents that I've I've read about of you know obviously, you know, taking place like on at a yard or something. And so, um, but you know, this, this unfortunate incident that happened earlier this week too at the, at the customer yard um, in Cleveland is that, you know, a dump truck was involved. And so I'm not sure, you know, um, NTSB is looking at that as well, but I'm not sure who, who was at fault or exactly what, what else, you know, was involved in the situation. So yeah, so we'll 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 keep an eye on that and see what comes out of the hearings today. Um, you know, another thing that's come out here recently, moving on to the next topic here, is that the AAR Association of American Railroads has outlined new safety actions, and so um, you know these are are voluntary um, you know actions, and this comes you know Rachel Premack earlier today put out an article on. Um, that there's no federal safety regulations for these key railroad sec sec sensors. She's talking about these the hot box uh, detectors, and um, you know one of the things that came out of that NTSB you know press release was that you know the the railroads have their own standards for when a car is too hot and therefore needs to be pulled out of service, and um, the AAR sort of preempts any you know, regulation that would sort of come out and, and, and mandate some kind of standards. They're sort of saying, well, we'll make our own uh, safety standards. So I can talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things that the AAR 
has as outlined. So for these for these detectors, hotback detectors, they're saying that goals of is is of achieving no more than 15 miles of spacing. Currently, it's what is about a 40 miles of spacing. Currently, AAR said this would cost 150 million dollars for for the industry. That's 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 nothing. I mean, capital envelopes are in the billions of dollars. Uh, there would be a thousand new detectors. There's currently um, about six thousand detectors. So about six over about six thousand to seven thousand detectors. Um, and then a new industry standard for when these inspections uh, take place, where now the railroad must stop and inspect the rail car if it is 170 degrees above ambient temperature, which you know it sounds extremely extremely hot, um, but um, you know ordinarily it can go up to that um, you know that amount without it really. You know, being a problem, and um, you sort of you know put that in the context of uh, what we know about the Norfolk Southern um, derailment, East Palestine, Ohio. At least as of now, uh, you know, based on the NTSB's preliminary report, it passed through three de- de- detectors. Um, you know, the one that's let's say thirty miles from ground zero. It was only the car was only thirty-eight degrees above ambient. I mean, we're assume- assuming that the detector was doing its job and working properly. The one that was 20 miles out, it was 103 degrees above ambient. So basically, according to the hotbox, in East Palestine, Ohio, 20 miles away, there was nothing wrong. And then the one that, you know, right at the derailment is 253 degrees above above ambient. So, you know, even if, um, you know, the new rules for having the hotbox every 15 miles uh, would have been in place, um, you know, I, I doubt that it would have, it would have caught that, um, you know, a uh, rail car being too hot because it, it didn't seem like it was too hot 15 miles away from, from the site. So that's, that's one thing that I would, I would highlight. And then, um, you know, Folk Southern's standard was already at the, the one, 170 to 200 uh, range uh, is, is to stop and inspect the, the, the rail car. AR saying now it, that should, um, you know, it should be stopped, you know, for the whole industry. And I guess, I guess Norfolk Southern had one of the, the stricter standards uh, there for when the car has to, the the rail tr- train has to stop and the car has to be in, in, inspected, um, sort of that 170 to 200 degree range above ambient is stop and inspect according to Norfolk Southern's uh, standard. And then above 200 degrees above ambient, consider, considered critical, they have to absolutely have to set out the car Im- immediately. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that those regulations in place um, would have prevented this uh, this accident in East Palestine, o- Ohio. I, th- I think the real mystery for me is just how quickly that rail car heated up in such a short number of miles. And I don't know that we have a good answer uh, on that. So that's my understanding. Do you, have, do you have any idea? Yeah, I. They haven't really released those those kinds of details, and so I think that's just something that that everyone's waiting for um i mean of course you'll have people in the industry kind of giving their own thoughts about what what might have happened or or what um you know what 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 could have been done to prevent things i think like i thought one of the interesting pieces in um aar's recommendations was um kind of the the use of data um i've been talking with a source about uh you know hot box detectors and, and, and the data that they um, record. And, you know, he was kind of suggesting, you know, that there hasn't really been a push within the industry to um, use that data and see if it can, you know, su- you know show 
potential um, trends about you know you know potential accidents like in, in real time, which I think is what AAR brings up in in one of their um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of their uh, one of their points. So. Um, yeah, I think that's true. And and a couple other things they mentioned, and they were talking about how, you know, maybe potential improvements to tank cars. I mean, that always seems to be something that that, that gets brought up um, whenever there's one of these type of derailments sort of make the tank cars more crash worthy. Uh, but you do wonder, um, you know, is that even possible if the trains are, are running as fast as they are on, on certain of these corridors where they're actually going 60 miles an hour and they were going 60 miles an hour in that East Palestine you know, corridor, what was it a little bit um, lower than, than 40, I think in the high, high 30s, um, if, if I recall. But that, that always seems to get brought up. And they're talking about having these class ones are going to train 20,000 first responders. And then the class ones agreeing to the FRA voluntary confidential close call reporting system. So they'll um, share some information and then um, a sort of a, a, a new, you know, app to share information and so um it, it seems like it's a lot of a lot of little things but um you know it wouldn't surprise me if there is uh federal regulation on top of uh on top of those things because this has gotten to be such a, a political uh issue yeah i would agree i mean i think that there is probably something that's going to um come out but it'll be interesting to see what exactly comes out because you know what you have um you have that bill in the senate right now that's um calling for several uh, you know, it's like the Rail Safety Act or something like that. But there's there's several measures in there that um, you know some some will say all those measures address what uh, you know to address you know preventing accidents, and some will say you know th- these these some of these measures really have nothing to do with the the East Palestine derailment, um, such mm-hmm. as like uh, you know the the train crew size and and whether to um, require. Mm-hmm. Uh, trains to have at least you know a train conductor and a and an engineer on the on the in the locomotive mm-hmm. cab or two two crew members on the cab so um that's in the bill and you know and you have people in the industry saying you know that has that doesn't really have to do with um east palestine but then you know mm-hmm. as i said you have others saying well it's part of the broader rail safety um <laughs> uh reforms that are needed so um but yes, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what comes up, especially since like on one hand, you have this being a bipartisan, uh, uh, there's a lot of bipartisan action. But on the other hand, um, you know, I, I don't know how, how long it'll take for, for actual regulation to get passed. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot to work on there. Hopefully you can leverage that into another mm-hmm. uh, Neil award for the, the, the next time <laughs> next year, uh, working on real <laughs> Um, so, so where can people find uh, your Freight Waves Rail newsletter? Yeah, so there should be a link. I, in my articles, I have a link uh, that lets you subscribe to the Rail newsletter, but also all the other um, newsletters that Freight Waves produces, so including yours. So, uh, on um, yeah. on consumer packaged goods. Great, sounds sounds good. That's all the time we have yeah. for today. For today, hope everyone has a great day. Ah!